You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Nick Peters, the VP of Operations at Ardoc. With that background of taking the huge risk and, and knowing that it could fail at any moment, now there's in the organization, there has to be a lot of meaning in saying, how can we push this as far as possible, knowing that we are not going to die. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the SAS Nordic podcast. Well, SAS Nordic Digital, that was something, eh, Daniel? It was a blast. It was lots of fun. We were lots of people there and we've got some questions like, hey, I didn't manage to make it. So if you are listening and you didn't make it, there's actually a way for you guys to get access to stuff. Yeah, we will put everything out at sasnordic.tv so you can head over there and there uh, you can get access to the content. So it is a life after SAS is Digital 2022 as well. And we are looking forward to Q4 where we will have several meetups. So we will meet uh, you both at other conferences and at uh, some SAS Nordic meetups coming up. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to uh, jumping in the tour bus again I hope, I hope it's in, in, in good condition. We haven't used it for a while, but it's going to be fun. Yeah, see you there and let's go on. Today we are joined by Nick Peters, the VP of Operations at Ardoc. So welcome to the SAS Nordic podcast, Nick. Fantastic to be here with you both. Awesome to have you here, Nick. And, and we know you a little bit from the past. You've been uh, talking at one of our events. You're part of our operations groups. But for the people that might not know you, who is Nick? Ooh, yeah, that's a deep question. Uh, <laughs> I like to say that I'm an American in Norway. Uh, I've been here for 13 years. One of my claims of fame is that uh, I'm a, uh, educated as a philosophy major who then got into SaaS businesses. And so I'm on my fourth one now, uh, two in the United States, two in Norway. So um, yeah, I just I, I really believe in the, in the magic of, of SaaS and I'm excited that I get to kind of use a little bit of a philosophical approach to, to my job. Uh, you know, we, we think we have to hold up a little bit there. Like, we're going to put the SaaS one to the side. Tell us a little bit about your philosophical background. What was, you know, you, you, you went, are you a philosophical major? And then you thought, like, this is, a, this is what I'm going to do when I grow up. Yeah, so uh, I kind of, I come from a, a family I've, of philosophers. So I have two older brothers who are also philosophers. Oh, wow. And... Um, I went into, uh, you know, software businesses because I thought that was a really good way to kind of use philosophy in real life. Uh, one brother went into finance and hedge funds, and the third one climbs mountains. Wow. What a trio. Yeah, exactly. So tell us, like, what superpower does this background give you working for a SaaS company? Yeah, I, I, have, I have more calm in the chaos than others. Okay. Gotcha. Mind like water. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what brought you to Norway then? My beautiful wife is Norwegian. Okay. She she tried out the United States for a couple of years, and we're like, all right, we'll try out Norway for a couple of years, and 13 years later, we're still here. I hope that's that's how my wife describes me when people ask her like, what brought you to Sweden? My beautiful husband. I'm not sure she does that, but she does. I'm sure. Cool. Uh, I mean, we said here in the beginning, you're a VP of operations. Uh, what the heck is that? What do you do? Yes. So um, I've been with Ardoc since we were 20 employees. And at that time, it was everything. So no matter what that needed to be done internally for the business to exist and to run uh, was kind of just something that you you tackle. 
And then now that we're at 200 employees, it is really a focused in on to our people and organization uh, department, you know, HR, but I don't like that term. Mm -hmm. So uh, people and organization, we have our IT organization and our security organization. So I really want to support those core central needs um, on the management team, uh, making sure that we're, you know, we're creating a, a great place to work for all of the fantastic Ardockians that we hire. Right. So did you start off as, as VP operations when you guys were 20 or, or did you have another functional role or title? So uh, my very first title, I was coming from being a co-founder at a company for eight years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew the Ardock guys and they're like, Nick, when can you come join? And I finally said I was ready. And they said, uh, oh, well, we don't have anything for you right now. So will you just join as a project manager? Okay. So I joined as a project manager and then uh, uh, kind of created the, this operational role um, within the first six months. Awesome. So uh, could you tell us something more about Ardoc? Uh, what do you do? What problems do you solve? At Ardoc, we love change. Um, and it comes down to it when you're a, an organization trying to profitably transform yourself Make sure that you are on the cutting edge. Make sure that you're meeting the customer demands. You really have to understand your IT landscape. You have to understand your processes. And you have to understand how your people are all getting the important things done with the tools they have available. And in the organizations we work with, we work with CIOs, COOs, CTOs, CEOs. And their big problem is, I need to manage my risk so that I can reach this new revenue target and I don't know how my people, processes, and systems are gonna support that. And so what Ardoc does is give them a lot of decision confidence because we have great data into how things actually work. We're able to visualize it at the right level for wherever you are in the organization. And we also are able to kind of democratize that input from all across the organization. You can get you know, targeted input from 10,000 people if you want in Ardoc to say, here are the tools that are working well, the ones that are not, the ones that should be sunsetted over time, uh, and the ones that we should reinvest in. Gotcha. So, but I, I get the, the, the profiles that you're going after, but are there any particular companies or verticals where this is more suitable or easier for you guys to, you know, get them to, to listen to what you guys have to offer? We are vertical agnostic. Um, it's been a discussion along the way. Like, is there anywhere that we could go that would have kind of a faster time to sale? Uh, and we've learned that it's much more about kind of the size of the organization. Um, there's a, a team that a lot of organizations have called the Enterprise Architecture Team that's trying to design what this full landscape of IT and processes should look like. If they have a, a robust team there and really know what they're doing, then RDoC can really help very quickly. Okay. Let me let me ask you this. Uh, you'd be surprised, although Thomas and I, is, we're a two-man show. <laughs> uh, our system landscape is rather large, you know, in between CRM, email systems, API pl platforms, and so on. Would this be for us? It would not. It's, uh, it is too, it's, it's geared for these, uh, the complex organizations, even though you're two people and you have complex IT, maybe not right for you. No, uh, and I mean, we are on the cutting edge, right? We, we are, we love the SaaS solutions. We're, we're doing the new stuff. I mean, you're working a lot with the, the transformation, right? Also, if you come from a, well, something that you have worked with for quite some time and you need to do a lot of changes and there is a lot you need to keep track of, right? We just want the, the new 
the new shiny stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah. You, well, if you buy enough new shiny stuff, it eventually goes a few years and you realize that, oops, some of this we don't need anymore. Yeah, um, exactly. But we, we do have some customers that uh, really started early with us um, and uh, kind of built their whole go-to-market process in our doc and are really seeing the benefit of that un- that deep understanding of how their business works as they are scaling fast. Yeah. So we do have some examples of that, but that's not our core. Okay. Cool. Uh, so let's put some numbers on, on our deck here. What can you share with us in terms of ARR, how fast you guys are growing, the number of customers you have, and, and where these customers are, are located? We are uh, in the 10 to $20 million ARR range. Um, we raised at the end of 20, uh, area, at the beginning of 2022, we raised $125 million um, based on about a, a $12 million ARR at, uh, during the valuation. It's a good timing. That's good timing. Yeah, just before things got a little bit more uncertain. Uh, so we're in a very good position to uh, to deploy that capital in a way that really um, has an impact for our customers. Um, we are 200 employees. We are located in Oslo, Copenhagen, New York, and London. We have um, you know over 250 customers, primarily in Europe and North America with uh, a few in, in APAC and you know we're always looking to kind of get the the right geography um, uh, mix and uh, we're really proud of being you know this uh, leader in the Gartner magic quadrant for enterprise architecture tools that really gets us the attention that we need globally from our Oslo office. All right great uh, we had a conversation a few days ago and you introduced us to the meaningful work umbrella or, or sort of meaningful work. So uh, we're going to talk about that. But first, what do you mean when you talk about meaningful work? What is that? So meaningful work is very personal. It, it, has, it starts from the individual. And so when, you know, in, in my journey after, you know, getting my philosophy degree and saying, okay, I want to get into business, what I found most meaningful at that stage in my life was I don't want to wait around for somebody to give me permission to do something I want to do it. Okay. I want to be in the details, making the hard decisions. And the best way to do that is in a startup. You know, startups will give a 22-year-old a chance. Um, and, uh, and so at that time, that's, you know, I made some choices that were meaningful for me. And I, you know, I wanted to have some, uh, a work life that um, I knew that I was kind of building something towards my own vision instead of somebody else's. Okay. But as you kind of get into it and you realize that you can't just have one person having meaningful work, you have to have a whole team seeing the meaning in their own work. You have to have a whole company. You have to have multiple geographies. You have to have all this diversity of thought and people. Mm-hmm. And as many of them as possible that can have meaningful work, the more you can have uh, these successful kind of um, outliers that happen in the SaaS business. Right. Where you have incredible growth, where you can grow 70% a year. You can, you know, um, onboard people to a culture where people really say, yeah, I can see myself having meaningful work here. All right. So you mean that the SaaS business is very well suited to give people opportunity to, to have meaningful work in, in different roles and uh, yeah, different geographies? Yeah. So I, I kind of started to realize this like 20 years ago. I was like, you know, reading TechCrunch articles and be like, I want to be in this space. And I was like, well, why? And I saw it was because investors could understand the the business model of this and how it's worth putting in you know uh, a large amount of capital 
early in the product lifecycle so that you can actually build out the full customer um, need. And in other businesses, uh, you know, whether you're in a consulting business or, you know, you're actually delivering some hardware or something, it's much more, um, you know, you have to spend a decade and maybe you'll get to the point where you can really have the capital to do more of these ideas around meaningful work. So in the SaaS business, with the investment uh, climate that's, you know, been in the last decade or so, uh, it's been great to be able to say, yeah, we want to get a lot of people together to tackle this big vision. We want to do it together in a way that we're growing our careers, we're growing the company, and we have this really deep sense of meaning in what we're doing. Right. Well, let me challenge you a little bit here, and I'm sure you have a great answer to it, but like meaningful work, the way you describe it is that, you know, it, it starts with each and every individual. You have 200 individuals at RDOC, and you must find a way to embody this on an organizational level. Otherwise, if you have 200 people having different definitions of meaningful work, it might become a little bit messy and they'll pull in different direction because what is meaningful for me might not be meaningful for my neighbor. And how will that feed into the organization? How do you make it work? Yeah, exactly. So you have to be able to kind of start to put some frames around as you scale. Like this is the new framework that we're in. And if you're if you find that you're really focusing on, I want to make all the decisions by myself as fast as I possibly can, then the answer is, well, you should be a co-founder. Right. And we don't have any more room for co-founders. That's <laughs> it, right? So we, we, have to, we have to be super clear about the frame and we can say, well, yeah, that, that excitement, that thing that you want, that individual thing that you want, well, let's put a frame around it that really meets this greater need that your colleagues have and that the business has and kind of meets all of our growth targets. And you can, you know, re kind of set your frame to say, oh yeah, I am very excited about being creative and having, showing my mastery, you know, making decisions um, and finding the purpose in, uh, in a frame that really works for the company as a whole. So we have some, some rituals that we do at RDOC that helps us kind of get there to say, hey, everybody has to have this, this gut feeling of this is meaningful for me. Um, so we talk about our big vision and our purpose. We talk about how we're able to um, you know, define our job roles and to have those right um, collaboration points with other parts of the organization to say, I have enough autonomy to go this far and then I really want to um, bring in the rest of the organization at a certain point. And we have our uh, you know, Monday morning meetings and our Friday afternoon meetings where we really want to say, hey, hey, here's what we're kind of doing together this week. And then at the end of the week, we have what we call wins, which is a no editing. Anybody can put a slide up to say, you know, shout outs to people in the organization to say, this was amazing this week. This is what we learned. Um, this is a chance we took that didn't quite work out, but here's what we learned from it. And making sure that there's those ways still as we get bigger that you can just have that real autonomy to jump in and, and talk about what we're doing as a company to the entire company. Yeah. So I'm curious then, then this meaningful work concept or umbrella that, that, that you guys are working with or under, uh, how does that work when you hire and bring in new people? So, so you, you might have a great engineer sitting across the table of your, your talent recruitment. How do they make sure that his or her own vision of meaningful work is vetted there. So it's not enough that you write great code. You might not fit here based on this meaningful work concept. Yeah. So we do a lot of work around that. And, uh, you know, since the, 
people in the organization department, the recruiting, the you know the advisory piece um, is is in my operations umbrella. Um, we really work through that uh, that talent acquisition process in a way that makes sure that we're super clear on this is kind of the vision that we have for a certain role, and then making sure we get that very clear feedback on which parts of those are truly engaging. Um, it's not enough to have the skills. You actually have to have that desire to have, you know, this is meaningful. And for developers, for example, um, a lot of what we found is that, you know, we do, um, we gather every, everyone together to actually do these new hire trainings. And so we just had one this week where we have developers and um, the salespeople and, uh, you know, administration people, everybody comes together into the same group and we talk about our culture and about what it was like to join. And we get all these stories from developers, for example, that says, I was so excited to be able to work with this expert on this specific language. Um, and I'm very excited about growing my, my career because I can use something that is cutting edge and isn't really available to me other, other places. And that creates a lot of loyalty. Right. Because of the meaningful work. Okay. So... How could this look like for for other roles in the companies? What, what different definitions or what different um, meaningful work have you found out there? <laughs> yeah. So in the uh, in the commercial organization, we found that um, there's these uh, these skills in trying to tell the story around the value that we have, and making sure that there's a lot of alignment on what we're telling them in the marketing process to what we're telling them in the sales process to the real value uh, realization in the customer success process. And so all of those kind of commercially focused people really want to make sure that they have the, uh, the content and the clarity on the product vision down to the individual personas so that they can only have the, spend their time on the most interesting conversations with potential, um, potential customers. And um, when we have our customers, we want to talk with them very meaningfully about what is that next business problem that you're trying to solve? What is the outcome that is keeping you awake at night? What is that true emotional pain that you're having? And how can we use RDoC to kind of get you up and going quickly? And so what commercial organization really finds meaningful is that they can have those conversations quickly. They can see that really those clear moments of win when a customer decides to pay and say, yes, we're ready to do this, uh, and then to say, yeah, I want to expand now, I want to do more. So being super clear around the metrics we're looking for, how to tell the story to our, to the, to our stakeholders out there, and to have those really shared communal wins around, you know, we're building this company together. Yeah, so it's a lot of pieces within the organization that, that you need to have in place in, in order for, in this case, the commercial organization to, to truly be able to, to do that meaningful work, right? To. Yeah, and, you know, when you look back at the, you know, companies who are earlier stage and who are like, we haven't cracked how to sail yet, you know, the go-to-market motion isn't that tight, mm. and it does drain people's sense of meaningful work. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not seeing the progress. Like, if we can show progress, if we can show that we're doing the right things and that we're going to iterate towards the right steps, um, people find the meaning in that. Like, we are cracking the code. Okay. And then we have to ask you, of course, what impact does this have on leadership? Or does it have any impact or can anybody be a leader at RDoC as long as you have the domain expertise or whatever? I think it has a huge impact on, on leadership. We really want to have this um, uh, supportive leadership style where we're able to coach 
around the things that really matter. So um, if, if you really, as a leader, if you really know what good looks like and you're able to, to kind of wash away some of those ex, extra worries that people have on your team and they're, it's like it seems like too much and I'm not able to like kind of dig down and do the most important things, then leadership is really about helping coach into the right focus area, into that right frame of what meaningful work is. Mm. Um, and uh, and if, we're, if we're not able to have those skills on our leadership team, I think that the, the culture really starts to, to break down. And as we go from 200 to 2,000, it's, you know, we've seen the graveyard of SaaS companies that look like they were doing okay and then didn't quite make it. Mm. We're very concerned about culture, and that culture has to start with leadership. Can everyone have the luxury of having meaningful work? I, I really believe so. And I think that it doesn't have to be like, you know, in the, in the SaaS world or in the startup world when you're like, I'm willing to, you know, give my whole life to starting a company. I'm going to do the grind for five, 10 years. Like, it, that's not the only definition of meaningful. No. Because sometimes you need to do the really boring stuff, like the copying and pasting, <laughs> the, the, you know, the cleanup in the CRM or yeah, whatever it might be. Yeah. And so I, I like to talk about, you know, when people are like, well, I don't want to do X, Y, and Z, it's kind of boring. Yeah. So, um, you know, when we have to do, uh, we want to have a really high growth rate. We want to hit 70% year of year growth. Um, our customers are demanding much more of us. And we say, okay, actually to hit that growth, we need to get an ISO certification on our security. And everyone says, oh, that's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then we say, well, but look at the meaning again. This is allowing us to kind of grow as a company together. And so, yeah, we're going to do, you know, maybe it's 20% of your time or 30% of your time. And you actually have to get super detailed in describing how things are done. Mm. But knowing that that's going to live on after you, you can do it one time and then it's going to, we're going to have good systems. So it's not as painful the next time. You're like, yeah, I'm going to do Buckle down. I'm going to do this thing. It's not my whole career, but it's going to be something that really affects the organization. Mm. So meaningful work isn't 100%. I'm doing what I love all the time. And founders know this, right? It's actually really hard most of the time. But as long as you're able to, to re reassess, am I at the right ratio still? Am I, am I having enough of those amazing moments that make up for uh, some of the grind moments? Yeah. 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 But, but I think as you said, I mean, it's, then it's so important that there is a leader that, that can take you through that, explain that this is what we need to do right now, but you know you won't get stuck here. There is something on the other side that will both benefit the company and that will benefit you and so on. So I think that's, that's great. It must be a challenge sometimes, I, I guess. But <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and that's what I find meaningful is there's always going to be another challenge. You're never like, oops, it's all done and yay. Yeah. There's another challenge and you have to, if you have that right, mindset in how to tackle that challenge with your colleagues um then yeah i find a lot of meaning in that and i think that other people do as well and exactly i want to continue on this what is meaningful work for you right now i find it extremely meaningful when um i see processes and um and tools that we kind of we made decisions on four years ago that are still making other people's lives easier mm. whether that's internally in how we work in rdoc whether it's um, the, the features and the, the tools and the outcomes that we're able to drive for our customers, seeing those customer stories come back and realizing that, you know, oh, I didn't just build the IT stack at Ardoc. I'm doing something that enables our customers to be amazing at what they do. 
And all of that, seeing that ecosystem expand and grow, seeing more, more humans finding meaning in that is meaningful to me. Three ways to fail in sales, brought to you by memory. One, clog your pipeline. The fuller it is, the fuller you'll feel. Tip two, never use a plan. Predictability, that's eh, just boring. Three, forget the CRM. Probably sucks anyway. If you're ready to take control of your sales and make how you sell your competitive advantage, try Membrane for free today at Membrane.com. I think we should get a little bit philosophical here, Nick, and flip the question. Like, I'm not sure where this is going to go, but Thomas, what is meaningful for you running SaaS Nordic? <laughs> Besides working with you, Daniel? Besides working with me. For me, in some way, it feels like, you know, all the experiences you have had uh, during the years, I mean, your experience in the SaaS industry, you know, all the evenings that you have been at the computer learning different stuff uh, <laughs> and so on, suddenly you can sort of use all of this for, for a purpose, right? That feels meaningful and uh, yeah, it's great fun. That's a good answer. What about you, Daniel? Uh, I agree. I also very much appreciate working with you. I think that's the reason why, <laughs> why we uh, even started this. For me, what I find meaningful uh, and it just amplified with SAS Nordic is uh, I like challenging set rules. You know, we are not from the media world and the media world thinks you need to be a certain way, a certain background to be successful. And we are to a certain extent proving that you can have another background. I think it's, I like being the, the underdog, the challenger. And I think every motion we do here, yeah, we are the challenger. And I'd like to prove to myself to us that there's alternative ways of doing things, of progressing and so on. Uh, and it probably has to do with, you know, like you said, Nick, working for SaaS companies, when you start, I've always worked, worked for startups and scale-ups, you're always the underdog. You're always challenging somebody great and big and so on. And that gives me a lot of meaning to prove that it can get done. And it can get done in various ways with different types of skill set. You know, past success is not a guarantee for future success. There's new ways of doing that. So, and I think with SAS Nordic, we get to live that every day. Sometimes we, we, we get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. But at least we get to live it every day. Exactly. You get to live it every day. Yeah. Cool. Uh, another thing I, I think we, we just maybe could do here as sort of a, a summary. I mean, you've been at Ardoc from, you know, you were 20 people and, and going to 200. So how does meaningful work change when you scale? I mean, you're, you mentioned the co-founders and what they can do, but, but otherwise in the organization, what, what happens? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we're, uh, we're seeing that, you know, those first 20 people were really just aware of how big a risk they were taking. Okay. And taking that risk was the meaningful thing to be at the, at the cutting edge of, you know, like it's, it's human experiences. Can there be something that doesn't exist yet? Is that possible? And you know that there's a 90% failure rate, but that doesn't matter, right? So at the, those first 20 were very, just pretty clear on that. And then as you, as you go through and you realize that your, you know, your zero cash date is six months away, it's two months away, and you're still kind of holding on to that extreme risk and saying, I'm willing to do this because um, I, th I think that 
you know, it's good for, it's good for me. It's good for just like this collective attempt at trying something new. Like everybody who's trying something new deserves just a lot of, a lot of praise, whether they're successful or not. And then you get to a stage where you start to be successful and it starts to be predictable. Like we are now predicting our growth rates in any given quarter. We're predicting exactly how many people we need in each function. We're not at the stage where it was like, ah, maybe we can hire somebody finally. Um, and so the, the meaningful thing now is that with that background of taking the huge risk and, and knowing that it could fail at any moment, now there's in the organization, there has to be a lot of meaning in saying, how can we push this as far as possible, knowing that we are not going to die. Okay. Like knowing that, you know, that taking away that, that immediate fear of, of uh, company death right. and still finding meaning in the, wow, but look at what we can do now to go as far as we possibly can, bringing our unique value set to the world. Uh, and so it's not, it, the, meaning, the meaningful work changes from, I just want to see if something could work, to I find a lot of meaning in, in seeing how far this thing that does work can go. And the impact of it, I suppose. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, seeing the impact on the on the customers' lives is uh, uh, we we talk about that every week, basically, and, as a team. That's great. So, if someone listened to this episode and they feel like you know uh, we might do some of this, but we haven't really figured this out, there is a lot of people that probably isn't very satisfied with what they are doing. They are doing the SOC two certification, and people <laughs> are miserable and so on. So, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, so in everyone's journey, I I found that I had a little bit of trouble taking advice when I was, you know, in the last uh, decade or so, because I did believe in, um, you know, let let's see what what will work for the local ecosystem, the personalities we have around us, and and what's happening. And I think that if if anything, it's not just an advice for, and I don't like the word advice. Um, you know, to challenge yourself on something, yeah. it would be how often do you talk about uh, the grander purpose of what you're doing besides just the company itself? Mm. It's hard enough to kind of set the purpose of a company, but how are the the lives of the humans involved and the stakeholders actually being uh, being affected? And I've really taken the what I've learned in, in my years as a philosopher and applied it to the challenges of building a SaaS company and um, from whatever angle you're coming from, whatever background you have, know that it's it's worth kind of looking at the SaaS problems through your individual frame. I use my frame. Nobody said I should. Oh, what does philosophy have to do with this? I did it anyway. I think it helps. And I think other people should also use their kind of their own frames to to come to their their problems and and speak openly and be curious about others. Yeah. And I know you guys have been really successful uh, over there with, you know, engaging the people and, and the people are motivated because they, they find this meaningful and, and, and purpose at work on an individual level. And is that something you own or are you in charge of making sure that people and leaders constantly feel and find this meaningful purpose or is that somebody else in the organization? Yeah, you started the episode with like, you know, this is an umbrella term, right? So there's not a chief of meaningful work. The idea is, is that all of our processes and all the ways that we try to, you know, create clarity in what we're going to do and, and trust between each other, we want to make sure that there's this meaningful work, fr you know, frame or umbrella that we look at it a little bit. 
So in my, you know, yes, there's a lot of um, people in organization processes that affect this that we do on a regular basis, and we we don't just say, hey, do you have meaningful work? We look at it from a lot of different angles, and you know, are you having the the right um, you know mix in, of your job tasks? Uh, do you want to uh, continue to you know grow into new roles in in RDoC over the next two years? Those kind of conversations kind of add up to that meaningful work stuff. We have our um, you know, our communication style, the way that we kind of do things as a group, that's a thing that different people worry about in the organization. It kind of bundles up into meaningful work. We have um, the way that we try to keep each other safe and our customers' data safe uh, in the security department and the IT department that also affect this. Um, you know, we've decided that we're going to be a agnostic platform company where you can come in and say, I love PC, I love Mac, or I love Linux. And we'll let it happen. Mm. That's a certain burden on the IT uh, processes, but it's worth it because we think it gives meaningful work. So we think about the processes through this um, through this frame and try to fit things under the umbrella. Very interesting. So if there's somebody listening to this episode, an individual, like an executor or a leader, feeling that let's let's run with the leader example, that I'm not sure if my people, if my staff would check the meaningful work status. I don't know how they would rank that. How would you recommend that they check this? If there's somebody here thinking like, holy smokes, I've never thought of this. I don't know if they find this meaningful or not on an individual level. How do they go about to check it? Um, I think there's a a lot of good employee engagement um, tools that try to kind of make it fun and gamified to to ask those deeper questions um, and, and start to see it over time you know, from an anonymous level, like how are we, are we seeing this flow? So we use a tool called uh, HiBob that, you know, manages a lot of our HR data and we do monthly um, checks on a lot of these things that build up to meaningful work. Um, and then um, I think that as a leader though, also before you're willing to necessarily launch anything to your whole organization, um, reading some, reading some books that uh, about, you know, how organizations are built or how, why, why people are motivated. Mm. So there's some good, um, one of my favorite books is called Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Leloup. And it really talks through how in the course of human history, we've tried to kind of organize people in different ways. And only now are we able to kind of bring in this concept of meaningfulness. And so kind of learning how did this get there and what are the concepts and why, why are why are modern organizations able to do this when we couldn't do it 200 years ago? All right, great. We got to, I think it might be our first book tips in, in the podcast series. So good. Uh, thank you for that. So uh, a few short ones uh, to end off with. What is in the future for RDoC? The future of RDoC. We are fully focused on taking what we've built over the last you know, eight, nine years and just making sure it can get out into the market as wide as possible. Okay. World domination. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're definitely focused on the EU and North America. We're going to do that really, really well first uh, and then start to, tar- tar- start to expand a little bit. We think that the, this value is so clear. Um, you know, it's a, uh, it's a $3 billion opportunity in the market. We have um, definitely one of the most uh, flexible, differentiated ways to kind of take this um, this core need that's been attempted for many decades yep. and actually accelerate it into something that everyone knows about. 
All right. So a lo- lo- lot of meaningful work left to do then. A lot of meaningful work left to do yet. We're excited to tackle it. And we're going we're gonna to grow uh, 70% a year to try to get there. That's impressive. What about on a personal level? On a personal level, um, I, uh, I was describing to, uh, to my CEO kind of how I feel like I'm in the third phase of my time at Ardoc. Okay. First phase was taking as much as possible. Second phase was to give away as much as possible. And then third phase is to get really excellent at, um, at these kind of umbrella things about meaningful work because I know that companies can start to lose some of that magic as you go from 200 to 2,000 people. So I'm super eager to see if we can break the mold and do it better. Okay, cool. What are you looking for right now? Uh, in, in the business, like what kind of like jobs we're hiring for? Or? Yeah, sure, or whatever comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, I, we're, we're, we're looking for more focus and clarity across um, kind of our, inter- our internal processes. We want to make sure that we are, you know, really locking down the stuff that we do well before adding on that next thing. Um, and uh, we're, we're really trying to um, make sure that our, our commercial organizations have all of that enablement that is needed to feel like they really have that meaningful work. Okay, cool. So who would you like to see on the show or any particular topic that, that you think we should dive into? So this one is a, yeah, it's a little close to home, but um, uh, one, our newest investor, one of our newest investors is EQT Growth. Okay. They are Scandinavian. They just raised $2.2 billion this week. Yep, we saw it. I think that the team there and their view on the potential in the SaaS and uh, the SaaS Nordic, you know, um, community uh, would be very fascinating. All right. Okay. Thank you for that. The investor perspective. Love it. Yeah. And uh, and Nick, this has been great. Thank you for sharing. And um, yeah, we learn new stuff all the time and uh, really appreciate it. That's the joy. Keep on learning. Thanks, Nick. Take care now. Thanks. Have a good one. Right, Daniel. Uh, As usual, we just threw out the question without sort of talking about it before. What is your takeaway from the episode, Daniel? Yeah, you just looked at me and you see like, I was like, holy smokes, he doesn't have anything good this time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually going to be a little bit philosophical myself. Okay. I'm going to be religious. You're going to be religious? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I don't know. You be religious, I'll be a little bit philosophical. And, uh, you know, talking to Nick here, it made me think... not in any way do I think I'm the greatest leader of all times, but I've had the fortunate to lead teams, successful teams and so on. And what I've learned is what's important for me and the company I represent is not always equally important for some of the people in my team, some of the executors, in this case, you know, the sales reps and so on. You need to identify what is their single motivator what is their driver coming back to what he was talking about meaningful work yes we want to revolutionize this space this industry and so on but there's something linked to each and every individual that makes their day-to-day meaningful yeah and you know thinking and looking back i feel like was i good at this did i do this well did i recognize what was meaningful for rep one two three four five six seven eight nine ten yeah I think I tried. I'm not sure I, I was I was great at it, but I can really relate to what he was saying because if you want to get the most out of people, 
while they bring the talent to you, you got to give something back. And giving that something back is helping them find meaning in what they do. All right. Yeah, how does that sound, Thomas? Huh? Oh, pretty good. Yeah. Let, let, let's hear your religious uh, thought on this. Well, let's see if I can do a religious spin on it. But um, I mean, sometimes you need to do the boring stuff, right? Right. But then it's so important to really explain the purpose and what sort of the end goal and what that can benefit the company, what that can benefit you in the longer run um, and uh, sort of what would be the next uh, step for you uh, maybe in your career. Right. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to talk about heaven and blessings and so on here perhaps, but we all know that in, in order to be successful, sometimes you got to grind, you're just going to work through it. And I think it's so important as a leader that you then can motivate people by, by really being transparent, by really, you know, be able to uh, communicate the vision and why this uh, gives value for the company or the customer or, or even yourself. Right, right. Hallelujah, I suppose. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure there's been some religious leaders somewhere that, you know, walked for days in horrible climate without food and sacrificed for the greater good. I thought that's where you were going. I wasn't going there, but, you know, the, the mandatory go out in the desert for 40 days and, and then, yeah, get the new vision and then go home again and, and do, do some great stuff. That's, yeah. Things like that happen. Okay, I think we're not going to go deeper into that rabbit hole, uh, but instead <laughs> talk about uh, other things moving forward. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I, I think it was enlightening. And what we would appreciate if you helped us spreading the light about the podcast. It could be just telling your friends and maybe you want to get onto uh, Spotify or Apple Podcast and give us a five-star review. Really appreciate that you listen to the podcasts. Thank you for being with the uh, uh, Sasnode community and uh, see you around. Take care.